and welcome back to a fresh episode of Business Growth Show. I'm your host, Sam Dunning, co-owner over at webchoiceuk.com. And today I'm joined by Rishi Rawat. Rishi is the owner over at frictionlesscommerce.com. His company exists for one reason and one reason alone, to optimize the conversion rates of your Shopify store. Rishi, a warm welcome to the show, sir. How's it going? I'm, I'm great. I'm super excited to be chatting with you today. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to some unexpected questions. Awesome, man. Two, two web guys, two marketers nerding out and sharing their hopefully pearls of wisdom. Let's, uh, let's see what we can rustle up. So um, we're going to be chatting all about the, the nine buyer psychology copywriting lessons so everyone tuning in can radically improve their, their marketing, their content writing skills and the ins, the outs, the hows, the whys of why these things are important. So first and foremost, why is copywriting? What's the big deal about copywriting, Rishi? Can't we just throw together a few words on our website, hope for the best, and we'll, a few few sales, a few leads will come in, right? Yeah, yeah, you'll get that's that's exactly right. You'll get a few sales and a few leads, um, and I think all of us want more than a few sales and a few leads. I think it's it's you know we are in unprecedented times because the power of the consumer has grown so radically that um, what is happening is, and if you look at broad data, this is the thing, this is the doomsday scenario is that if you actually look at broad data and you look at you look at data for your own website, you will find not only are people spending a minuscule amount of time on the website, but those numbers are going down every year. And um, you know, if you're selling a complicated product, most of us are selling something that is can't be bought in the first 20 seconds. Um, then you need more time. And I think one of the traps that marketers have fallen, have fallen into is they say, look, I know I have a minute to close the sale. So the right. way I'm going to close that sale is I'm going to try and compress as much information as I can in that one minute. I can, I'm going to scream as loudly as I can. And our thesis is that if you can connect with the psychology, the subconscious psychology of the buyer, the buyer will want to spend more time. And through that mechanism, you can persuade and influence them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And on that note, why do you think that the time limit is so short, Rishi? Do you think that it's because people's attention spans are dropping? Do you think it's because every year more and more competitors are coming about in each each space, so we've got less time to engage, attract, steal the attention, or is it something else? Yeah, it's it's all of those things, right? I mean, if you look at uh, if you look at e-commerce, you see the migration from from desktop to mobile, mobile has a smaller real estate. Um, that's that affects that affects people's attention span because there's you, there's you know it's a smaller screen. Um, sure. Certainly, number of competitors for sure. Number of choices consumers have. You know the way the and you know this is one of the mistakes that brands make is they say that look we are selling a product that there are only three other companies that are selling this exact product so that's our competition. Actually, that's not the way you should look at it. The competition is, um, in the simplest term, is attention. Anything right. that is vying for attention is competition. Um, and so when you kind of really factor in for attention, you realize that the number of choices that we have have just grown exponentially. And um, and because of that, we have to really kind of figure out some clever ways of earning more of that time because until you don't get more time, there is zero chance of you getting more conversions. Yep. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. Right. So with that said, I know you've got a nine point checklist that we're going to dive deep into and hopefully share some useful tips for our audience today. So let's let's hit it off. Let's let's hear what we've got. 
Well, uh, yeah, absolutely. So the, the first thing, to, uh, the first point is related to what we just discussed. So we're living in a world of overabundance and, um, and therefore marketers are, are forced to put on the mic marketing microphone and make these ridiculous claims. Now, the thing is that the average consumer is exposed to maybe a thousand ads a day. I think the number is actually 5,000, but it's unsubstantiated. So I would say, wow. let's be conservative and say a yeah. thousand ads a day. It is mathematically impossible for me or you or any of our wonderful listeners to, to objectively evaluate the merits of each advertisement that comes their way. And so our brains have come up with these clever shortcuts to navigate these, these in, impossible choices. And um, so that is really where this framework comes from. And step one of that framework is people are skeptical of too good to be true. So whenever I encounter something that smells even mildly of being too good to be true, it actually breaks the magic for me. And yeah. so what, and I think sometimes this is, all, I, I just want to emphasize the point over here. People will sometimes say that, you know, uh, they they might say that, only the big parts of my sales pitch, I need to kind of verify to see if they're too good to be true. I would argue everything in your sales pitch, like every word choice, even if it smells mildly of being too good to be true, you are essentially potentially breaking the magic. And once you break the magic, you're kind of screwed. So go through your entire sales pitch and say, is there anything that sounds too good to be true? If you notice something that's too good to be true, substantiate it. Yeah, is there any tests or any examples you can share with us on Rishi? And feel free to use customer examples or anything like that, because I know not necessarily even just on when I'm reading websites or ads that take me to landing pages, even if I'm speaking to sales reps or sales reps like they like to do are pitching me with my 10, 20 inbound messages that I get on LinkedIn saying, look, Sam, we can 10x your leads or um, let's hop on a 20 minute call and we're going to get you three times sales for 2022 and all these outlandish claims and they have no idea about our business, what we do, if they're even a good fit. Um, and it just sends off your BS radar, right? Straight away, you're thinking this is bullshit. Like, there's there's no way that they can do that. They don't even know what we do properly. So, how can we? I guess what I'm getting at is how can we not fire off BS claims in the hope that we're going to generate sales or leads? How can we make sure that our claims are realistic and something that our buyers are going to consider as a trusted source? I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, it it really it, it changes from from scenario to scenario. But I would say that all of the listeners are aware of the claims that we're making in our marketing. So I would say go back and visit all of those claims um, and ask yourself. And I have, you know, it's a principal part of how we write copy. We kind of look at all of the claims and even the micro claims, and we say, okay, for example, let's say I'm let's say one of our clients is a couple, one of our clients one of the tests that we did was for a company called baking steel and they have this little steel slab that you put in the oven and you put your pizza on top of it and it actually the claim is it'll make pizza in in 15 minutes that's going to be crunchy on the outside and soft and fluffy on the inside and sounds we had delicious. to like sounds amazing and so we had <laughs> to like literally like each of those claims 15 minutes uh, the fact that it is um, it's going to make pizza better than what you would do if you were to not use that product. Um, it, the fact that it's crunchy on the outside and soft on the inside. We had to substantiate each of those things. Instead of having the statements, we actually said, you know, this sounds, you know, this sounds too good to be true, but here's the science behind it. And so, you know, just substantiating those claims is, is all we did. And, and that's how we had a massive improvement in conversion rates. Nice. It's just kind of breaking it down 
and peeling back the layers of, of each of the claims that you're making. Yeah, and one of the trick, one of the simple tricks to actually, you know, it's really this is really interesting is that one of the tricks that we like to use that is so effective is to actually add a headline, add a copy in your sales pitch itself, a section that says this sound like literally you put I've sometimes put it in quotes and I'll say uh, you must be thinking how is this even possible and then you and then you just have a paragraph devoted to explaining how it's possible when the consumer sees that that basically we call this technique narrative control which is basically like don't let the consumer create their own narrative so whenever they encounter something that seems weird or too good to be true get in front of that and just explain it to them and so having just a section for it tells me uh, as a buyer it tells me that they have made an effort to satisfy it and therefore that checklist item gets satisfied and so i can move on with the remaining eight items that i have in my mind yeah 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 cool makes sense makes sense so is that all for for number one or should we go into the, the next one let's go to the next one so the second one is we are living in a highly specialized world if i have a, a heart condition i don't want to just go to a doctor that can give me some treatment i want to go to the best heart specialist in my budget in my driving radius like that's my criteria yeah. and so consumers have come to expect so the, the the criteria number two is people find find expertise sexy and the idea is that consumers expect us to be the best in the world at what we do even if we're selling a little steel a little steel plate that makes pizza we need to demonstrate to them that we understand every aspect of the steel plate. And so how do we demonstrate expertise? So we, again, go through your sales pitch and every opportunity you get to demonstrate expertise, do it. Gotcha. Okay. That's interesting. So showcasing specialism expertise around what we do. Is that, excuse me, is that with, typically do you find it's with facts and figures or is there charts or is there a specific way that you found is good to actually showcase that um, from your experience Rishi? You know um, I, I would say that like my my preferred way of doing it I think what you talked about the charts and figures and stats and all that that that's one way of doing it and I think it's an effective way of doing it. Um, I like to express expertise in across the entire sales pitch so everything right. that we mention or as many things as we can i'm kind of like i'm over dramatizing it to kind of just demonstrate the fact that there's like for i'll give you one example so we when we do research one of the questions that we ask clients is like when you came up with this product how many prototypes did you launch that failed and clients mm. will often say oh we did like 30 different prototypes. And so I actually use that to demonstrate expertise because it's a way of explaining that, look, we've like, we've, we've really refined it with each improvement. Or sometimes clients will say, you know, we, we used to have a version of this product two years ago and then we made a bunch of improvements to it. And so I cannot use that to demonstrate expertise. So it's in, yeah. across the entire sales pitch. So it's almost like in that case, you're showing the process that they went through. Yep. So like, look, this took us three years. We've had X amount of prototypes. We've failed this many times. We've involved this many people. We've had sweated out this many tears. And now we've we've got to a point where we're ready to bring it to you, the audience. And it yeah, another thing, another thing we another thing we actually do, which is really interesting, is that like, for example, uh, we for we're working for one of our clients, we got into one specific aspect. So the, one of the parts of their product is a little motor. And we actually went into incredible detail about the assembly of that motor um, just to kind of let the buyer know that we know what the heck we're talking about. Yeah. 
yeah yeah so getting specific getting kind of really clear on the details rather than skimming over the surface i guess yeah nice like it like it let's move on number three Number three is that, and this is actually, I bet there's no copywriter that's spoken about this, but it's something that I've experimented with extensively, um, which is that there is something about the human condition where we want to root for people that have overcome incredible odds, whether someone is scaling a mountain or someone has had a disability or someone has had a setback. We find those stories really, I don't know what it is about it. I think partly because we are, it's so relatable to our own lives. And so this idea of how do we how do we let our buyers know that we've gone through incredible odds and incredible hardship to actually come up with this invention. Now, there are two ways of doing this. There are two story arcs around this. One is the Rocky story where you're kind of talking about like I made a challenge for myself and I said, I'm going to do this for myself. So that's the Rocky yep. story. The other story is the David versus Goliath story. So identify the big, bad, ugly evil person in the industry that you're kind of going against and yeah. see if you can frame your story against that. And um, often clients will say things like, you know, like, well, that's not true for us. And we didn't have any, you know, we didn't have any rocky moments. And when we start doing interrogation where we're kind of like really asking about their journey, we discovered that they've actually forgotten about the incredible hardships that they've gone through. And all we are, what all we want to do is we want to kind of let the buyer know that because, um, you know, it just connects us with, emotionally with the buyer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if if we're positioning either of these two motives on our website, is there somewhere that it needs to sit? Is this like for our About Us page or is it for somewhere else, Rishi? Yeah, so this is a great question, Sam. So I, I think I think this is one of the things that, that I think is, is it, it, the answer is it depends. Um, mm. You know, you have to, like, I don't know the product specifically that each of the listeners is trying to sell, but I would sure. say that, for me, it's the product page where I kind of treat the product page as the base camp, as the central cathedral for my sales page. But if you want to kind of disperse that or sprinkle that across multiple locations, you can put it in your home page, you can put it in your about us page. I think the risk, the, the thing that you have to really think about is you want to make sure, because this is one of the traps that clients fall into, is they'll say that, look, I have this content on my on my website. Yep. And what we do is we go to the analytics and look at how many people actually saw that content and the number is like ridiculously small. So you want to make sure that you're placing it at a high traffic location. Um, and, and, and so I would say all nine of these ideas need to be expressed. If the user doesn't see it, it's like a tree falling in a forest. Did the tree even fall? So if you have a page where you're kind of really talking about um, your personal struggles or your story arc and stuff like that, but no one is seeing it, then then you're just as that's just just as good as not having that content in the first place. Yeah, smart. Make sure it's it's got a bit of website traffic. So actually look into the the analytics to to check that. That's that's smart. Um, without going off on too much of a rabbit hole, we um, often when I come across sites about us page, don't know what you think, Rishi, but a heck of a lot of them are bland, plain, boring, jargon fueled. Just send me to sleep. So ours was guilty actually until about a month ago at web choice we just put generic company info and then we thought well this doesn't tell any, anyone anything let's actually dig deep into the story of how felix our co-founder brought up the company why he brought it who we serve the problems we fix so at least we can actually try and resonate with with people rather than just filling it with a load of tech like we do x y and z um this is what we do and then you know just general generic stuff so rather than putting a bit of heart a bit of story a bit of storytelling and a, a bit about the typical problems and challenges we overcome so yeah some good tips there um 
like that, like that. Let's move forward. So the next one is that we are fascinated by surprising details. So this is a really interesting, interesting one. So there's 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 so much trivia that is available uh, about um, uh, about any product category you can think about. Uh, there's so much research that's out there. So for example, if you're working for a foot brand that sells comfort shoes. Well, I would I would look for interesting facts about foot comfort. I would look for interesting facts about feet foot pain. I would look at the history of, of, of shoes and stuff like that. If it's an air purifier, I would do the same thing about the benefits of clean air, uh, indoor air quality versus outdoor air quality. And I, I would collect a whole bunch of interesting facts. So this actually does a couple of things. The one thing it does is it, it actually ties in to point number two, which is we find expertise sexy. So it actually demonstrates ex demonstrate expertise, right? If I'm selling a pair of shoes and I'm talking about in great detail about the, the mechanics of how feet move, that tells the buyer that these guys know what the hell they're talking about. Yep. But the reason why we use it is we sprinkle it across our sales pitch. See, one of the paradoxes of paradoxes, paradoxes of sales is that I know I can't close the sale in 30 seconds. And therefore, I need to get the buyer to read my whole story because that's the only way I can actually convince them about what it is that we do. The problem is that my whole story is pretty long. And this yep. is one of the traps that brands fall into. They say, well, we want to limit our, our sales pitch to one paragraph, which is stupidity because then you're falling for the same trap. But the alternative of saying that we want it to be seven paragraphs long is, a, is, is, is the right choice. But there is a challenge here because the consumer, it's a it's difficult to, for the consumer to read seven paragraphs worth of content. So what we do is we sprinkle these interesting facts at the at each critical point. And what they do is it's almost like a Kit Kat break. You you see something fascinating, and you're like, oh my god! Like you've it's like infotainment. You've been educated, and you are kind of excited about it. And you and what I really like about it is it's we're giving them free value without them actually having to pay. You know, so they're not even paying for the product; they're getting free value, and that little break gives them the motivation to read the next paragraph. And what I know is that if I can get the buyer to go all the way to the bottom of my sales page, statistically speaking, I'm going to close them. Got it. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I was going to ask, is there, is there like a perfect amount, but I'm sure the answer is, is going to be, it depends in terms of laying down facts, unusual bits and pieces of information, like you say, sprinkling it across your, if your product, your service page copy to really encourage prospects users visits to your website to carry on reading the pitch rather than just getting bored is there like a, a sweet spot of how many facts or figures that we should include or is it very dependent on what you're doing and i guess the at the same time the price tag of what you're offering and how long you need people to stay on page yeah i mean we i typically like to do like around five uh, you know for each sales pitch okay yeah something like that as a standard nice okay cool With 60 to 70% of their inbound demo requests never making it to a book meeting, Brian Schuler, ABM and Marketing's Operation Manager at SAS Optics knew a change was needed. Their inbound scheduling process required sales development reps to go back and forth with prospects to qualify and schedule a meeting before they ever spoke to an account executive. Brian implemented Chili Piper's concierge solution, allowing inbound prospects to book a meeting time in the correct account exec's calendar immediately after filling in a demo request form. Behind the scenes, Chili Piper qualified the lead, routed it to the correct account exec, 
booked the meeting in their calendar. Since implementing Chili Piper, they've seen a booked rate on inbound demo requests increase from 40% to 90%, meaning four times more sales meetings and double the amount of inbound pipeline per month. Book your free customized demo today at chilipiper.com. That's C-H-I-L-I-P-I-P-E-R.com. Charles runs a software company. He gets a decent amount of leads through his website, through paid ads, but when it comes to the organic, non-paid listings on Google, his competitors are stealing his visibility, traffic, and customers, all because they rank higher than him on organic search with SEO, search engine optimization. He set up a call with WebChoice. They took the time to understand his business, goals, and plans, and crafted a long-term strategy to rank higher on Google. After a few months of working with WebChoice, Charles was above the competition and enjoying more organic leads than ever, and was even able to reduce his ad spend from the uptick in organic inbound leads. Want to enjoy more inbound sales leads with SEO? Book a free consultation today at webchoiceuk.com. That's webchoiceuk.com. We continue. Next, yes, absolutely. The next one, point number five. So we're at the mid, mid mark. Uh, point number five is that we are visual animals. 50% of our uh, cortex is devoted to image processing. Um, and so reading a bunch of copy is actually way less persuasive than actually reading copy that is evoking a visual in my mind because visuals get embedded deeper in the brain. So the way you in invoke a visual is you don't have to rely on videos and photographs, even though you can you rely on those things. You can actually create those visuals through writing itself. So one of the me mechanics mechanisms that we like to use is we like to use analogies. We love analogies. Um, analogies. So for example, if you're trying to explain how your SaaS software works, use an analogy of something that consumers can relate to. So maybe you can talk about an insurance policy, or you can talk about the, the benefits of going to a specialist doctor, whatever that example is that, because a lot of times brands actually use these analogies for their internal communication. Um, so if you have a pillow that has this incredible cooling quality, maybe internally you're, you're using analogy of like, it's like, um, it's like a, it's like, it's like sitting in a freezer. Maybe that's the analogy you're using. So I would actually use that in the copy itself. Uh, and because what that does is it in, immediately creates a visual in the mind of the buyer. And those visuals embed deeper in our psychology and, uh, you know, and therefore it's more persuasive. But you can also create and you could also create a visual through contrast. So if you're right. trying to talk about something, talk about the absence of that. So that creates a visual as well. You're doing it through writing, but that, you know, if you're, if you're like, for example, an insurance company, you're going to talk about the absence of something happening and you don't have insurance and that creates a visual as well. Yeah. 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 So are we, and feel free to correct me if I'm totally off base here, but are we trying to get, so we've talked about using facts and figures. Um, so we've talked about using logic. Are we now trying to get people a bit more emotional by using analogies in our copy and trying to say, look, this is, or trying to give them visuals as well. So in, in like you say, if, whether that is a pillow that makes people think they're in a freezer or makes them think they're sleeping on, on a bed of feathers or whatever it may be. So they get these visuals in their mind. Um, and like I might say for web choice, like SEO is often like your 
running a marathon um, or you're, you're, you're looking for a mortgage, it's a long-term investment to get that top spot on the, the, the pioneer, be the pioneer of Google and drive all that traffic and that inbound inquiries and leads and sales and all that good stuff. Is, is, that, is that right or is that not quite it? Well, it's, it's, it's a very good observation. So here's how I would kind of clarify what you're saying. So I would say that all nine of them are designed uh, to appeal to the subconscious emotional side of the buyer. Even, 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 the, even cases when we're using the facts and figures, we're doing it to appeal to their subconscious side. Um, so I would say, you know, from, from my perspective, they're all designed to appeal to their emotional side. Um, sometimes we use facts and figures, you know, uh, yeah, so... The answer is that, you know, I think you're, 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 it's, it's a little bit of, I kind of sometimes look at these tactics as being first cousins. They share a lot of DNA with each other, like even like interesting facts and find expertise sexy. We already talked about how they can be kind of correlated ideas, um, but we intentionally kept them separate because we want to force the copywriter to say that, was I able to find an interesting fact? Now that interesting fact could also demonstrate expertise. Um, similarly for visuals, there are there are many different families of visuals, but we want to make sure that there was a line item that said there needs to be something, multiple things that evoke visuals on this page. Uh, so yeah, so they're all designed to evoke, uh, connect with the psychology, uh, the, yep. the emotional side. Yeah, and should we think about literal visuals as well? So that literally mm -hmm. like images, videos, whatever, yeah. infographics. Yeah, I, I'm a fan of, if you have those assets, I think you should certainly use it but I'm not a fan of creating those assets for solving the visual piece because it can be expensive. Um, I think what I love about words is you can actually, you can, you can, words are malleable and you can adjust them and tweak them. So my recommendation is do experimentation with the words itself. And when you come up with an analogy that you've tested and you have statistical data that is like, this is this is really resonating, then by all means, invest in making a visual or a video to, to further accentuate that, that analogy. Have you found any tips, any secrets, any hacks to create that analogy from your experience? Well, I mean, a lot of it just comes, you know, I mean, ultimately all products are actually doing very basic jobs. They're either helping us make more money or they're helping us save money. And so that right there uh, simplifies things. I, you know, I don't think there's, I mean, I think a lot of it is like, you give me any example, like I love to use the analogy for doctor. If I'm trying to, if I'm trying to, you know, sell a product that has, uh, where I'm trying to position myself as an expert. So that's a good analogy. I love the idea of insurance. That's a great analogy. Um, so there are certain families of analogies we like, we tend to kind of gravitate towards, but often what we find is, and this is really the most effective hack is to actually talk to, if you're dealing with the client, in my case, I work with clients, but if you're working with your team, maybe talk to your team and see if there's any analogy that they're using, uh, yeah. in, to communicate with their family. Like, this is a great question, right? So a lot of times we're doing things that our families don't understand. So we, are, we have to come up with analogies to explain it to them. Ask your team, what is the analogy that you use? And you'll be amazed at some of the very clever analogies people are using to express, you know, what you guys actually do. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's smart. That's smart. I often say stuff like, um, if you've got a sales team, you can kind of use listen to, to those guys, see what they're saying to prospects, to customers on calls, how they're describing certain things. Because often that kind of stuff's really useful and can be used in your marketing copy so that's a smart move cool let's let's move forward to number six is on the way 
Yeah, number six is here to stay. Um, so shoppers, this is actually one of my favorite ones, and I would say it's one of my most it's one of the most important ones, is that ultimately when we are selling, and I'll talk about it, it's it's basically we need motivation to break habits. Uh, but let's right. kind of set some context over here. When a consumer is buying something, they are doing one of three things. They are either moving from a competitor to your product, or they are moving from a workaround to your product. So for example, Peloton, um, if I was if I was being pitched Peloton and I was someone who bikes outside, well, I already have a workaround. I bike outside. That's my that's my workaround. So I can I'm bypassing the sales pitch for Peloton. And the third option is non-consumption. So I just don't work out at all. Um, and the thing is that this is one of the challenges is that if you construct the most beautiful sales pitch in the world, but you actually don't give the buyer a path to go from where they are to where you want them to be, then that sales pitch is meaningless. You're kind of relying on the motivation of the buyer to actually say, screw all this. I'm going to just give out my credit card and buy the product. They typically don't have that degree of, they don't have that degree of motivation. So what we do is we, we inject that motivation in the copy. So in the case of Peloton, I would say something like, you know, riding a bike outside is incredibly good idea, except when it snows, except when you have an accident, except when the bike tire is flat. And by doing that, you're actually giving them, you're giving them arsenal to say, you know what, I'm going to fire the bike so I can yeah. hire Peloton. Yeah. 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 I like it. Really, really, really like that. So putting in front of your buyers, the problems or the frustrations that might have that they might have with how they're getting the job done right now and what's ever relevant to your service, your product, and then saying, look, there's a better way. One of the uh, one of the clients that we worked with is um, they sell long term food storage. It's a very interesting niche. Um, so it costs like thousands of dollars, and you're buying food supply for like six months, and you're putting it in your house because for the uncertainty of the fact that sometime in the future there might be some food uncertainty, and you might need this. So the problem is that the consumer, no matter how much we persuade the buyer, the consumer can end the end the conversation by saying, "I just don't think this is going to happen." And so how do we motivate them to actually invest this money uh, for some uncertain future event? And so we added copy that says nine out of 10 times, you would not need to use this kit. And just by doing that, we've injected doubt to their mind. And now they're saying like, what about that one out of 10 time? So I'm giving them the motivation to kind of say, let's get, get out of the stupid habit of yours of assuming things won't be bad. So yeah, that's a practical way of kind of looking at it. Let's move on to the next one, which is um, people love personalized experiences. And I think this is a really interesting one as well. We're living in, not only are we living in a hyper-competitive world, we are living in a world where consumers want to buy things that are uniquely made for them, that uniquely connect with them. When, you know, the the first era of, of industrialization was, was, was mass consumer goods, companies like Procter & Gamble and companies like, um, you know, across the pond, um, uh, you know, Unilever, you know, these are giant conglomerates that churn out a crap ton of products. And the whole sure. idea was that, you know, you trust their brand. So all their products you trust as well. Well, consumers are now very kind of, you know, they, they have very distinct tastes and your taste in, in music is very different than mine. And we don't want to listen to, you know, uh, Elton John, uh, you know, he's he's got lots of broad appeal, but we want to listen to really things that are very specific to us. And so the thing is that that's what consumers want. Now, the challenge is 
as a copywriter, how do I, how do I, how do I really personalize this? Now there are many mechanisms that we have to personalize the copy. I won't get into that right now, but I, I want to just say one simple thing. One way yeah. of personalizing it is to, um, is to, it, it's it, personalization for me is the feeling that the reader gets when they read the sales pitch. So there are many things you can do to, for example, I'll give you an example. So let's say we're working with a sports bra and it's a sport, sports bra brand. So the first thing I would ask myself is like, what problem would a woman have if she didn't use a sports bra? Well, one of the things about, uh, about a sports bra is that it gives you the right support system. And that means without a sports bra, this is a real problem. It's also something that, you know, so what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to kind of visualize my customer. I'm trying to visualize her pain points. It's also something that it's difficult to go into a store and buy because you don't have a conversation with someone. So I would kind of use all of those, those insights about the buyer to construct a sales person when the buyer, when she's reading it, she's like, oh my God, these guys understand me. And that's what I mean by personalization. Like make the person feel like it's uniquely written for them, even though it's not, but create that feeling. Yeah. And how have you found it's best to, I guess, steal those ideas, steal those insights and understand how to make something personal? So, you know, we, we have a technique uh, called active participation and it's, I think it's revolutionary. Um, so what we do is I'll give you a great analogy. Uh, I'll give you a great example. Um, it's a little technical, but it's a beautiful, beautiful insight. Um, and the idea is that imagine if you are selling a juicer, I'm a big fan of sales. So if you're selling a juicer, I try to think about like, how would a salesperson actually do it on at a retail store? And what the salesperson would actually do is he would engage or she would engage you in a conversation to understand about, understand how price sensitive you are, how long you've been looking for a juicer, what type of, you know, how, you know, have you considered other brands? And in that conversation, you're able to actually identify and isolate specifically the perfect juicer for this person. So by the end of that sales call, you actually have the right recommendation for them. On the website, on the web, this doesn't happen. You actually come to a website and we have the exact same sales page for everyone. So one way of doing personalization is to actually ask the, when the user is going through the sales page, at the end of paragraph number two, ask them a simple question like, have you ever bought this type of product before? That's a really important distinction because people that are familiar with, like for, for someone who's never bought a laptop before is going to behave very differently than someone who's been buying laptops every two years. And you need to personalize the sales page for those two scenarios. And so that's one way in which you can apply personalization is by giving them buttons that they can click on to suggest who they are and, and then, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like a personalized question series to guide them to the relevant product or service. Yeah, the only the only catch here is that if the user feels it's a wizard, they will ignore it. So it's almost like think of it like if I go to a retail store and the sales guy comes up to me and says, "I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you the perfect blender, but before you do anything, I have ten questions for you." That's really not how humans conversate. So don't do it that way. But yes, apply that same conversational tone to extract that information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, number eight, sir. Uh, we like we like to know that we've stumbled onto something rare. Nobody wants to buy a commodity. Uh, I want to buy something that St Sam doesn't have access to. I want to buy something that my neighbor can't get get. And this is the reason why this whole idea of exclusive clubs is so alluring. Um, so how do we how do we evoke that feeling? 
So one of the tricks that we like to use, and it's a really interesting trick, is we will, in the product page, we will say something like, only 4% of people that came to our website ever got to this page. And it makes the reader feel like, holy cow, I'm like in the super select group. Um, so, you know, how do you, and this is very gimmicky, but think of other ways in which you can kind of like evoke for the buyer this idea that, you know, you're accessing something. Another trick, another trick we use is we say something like, if you had come to our website, so like, for example, if I'm working for Dyson um, and they've just launched their latest model, I would actually start the copy by saying, had you come to the website two months ago, you would have not seen this product because we hadn't even launched it by then. And that creates a feeling like, oh my God, I just stumbled onto something rare. So, Yeah, yeah, yeah I get it. And is that the same thing of when you go on perhaps some shopping sites and they say like only five of these left or someone in... Also, you get the other thing on some income stores where someone from this town in this city just just purchased one of these. So it's and you see it quite a lot when you're buying plane tickets and things like that or hotel rooms and on your trip advisors, your Airbnbs. Is it that kind of thing or is it something a bit different? Yeah, it's, it's the same kind of thing. I think the thing to keep in mind is that this is a really important point is that uh, so we're going through evolution. So what's happening is it's like spy versus spy. Uh, the retailer is getting is is getting sophisticated. Then the consumer is getting sophisticated. Then the retailer has to become even more sophisticated. So that mechanism you're talking about, I think there's a lot of consumers when it first came out, like seven years ago, it was really novel, and people would say like, "Oh my god, this is like amazing social proof." Now I think people ignore it because they know it's kind of gimmicky. So yeah. I think you have to like, yes, you need to use that ex exact same mechanism, but just make sure that the consumer doesn't look at it as a gimmick yeah nice summary cool number nine final final point i'm sad because now we're coming to the end of the conversation <laughs> but i i hope this is a good one this is actually a really important one so imagine if you have a sales pitch and your and the reader is starts from the top goes to the middle works their way right to the bottom what's happening is that as they're doing that negative thoughts are coming in their in their mind in fact our listeners and you even right now you might not be aware of it as I've been talking, you've had a whole bunch of negative thoughts that have come through your mind. You know, I don't believe this, this doesn't make sense, whatever it is. And the thing is that as a copywriter, first of all, that's unavoidable, so that's fine. But as a copywriter, I need to anticipate those negative thoughts because if you get to the bottom of the sales pitch, which is the end of the movie, and you still have those unresolved questions, you know what the consumer does? The consumer defers judgment. So the consumer will say, you know what? I don't have all the information I need to buy this uh, air purifier today. I'll, I'll come back later on when I have all the information. And guess what? Once they leave, they ain't coming back. Yeah. So we're talking about leaving questions unanswered, are we? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. We're, we're, we're talking specifically about negative, negative thoughts. Uh, so, right. uh, you know, but yes, yes. Unanswered negative questions. What ways have you found are best to avoid this? Well, I think this is this happens throughout the this happens. So if you think about it, the first one we talked about, which is too good to be true, and the last one we're talking about, they're actually diametrically opposite. Too good to be true is where the marketer is making a claim about something that seem that is being too positive. Uh, negative thoughts is about something that is negative. And so one classic example of this is that if you have a product and you've looked at your competitors and there is a feature on your product that it, that is a feature that your competitors have but your product doesn't have. So let's say that, you know, there's that one feature that all of your competitors tend to have, but your product doesn't have that feature. A lot of times brands will, in this scenario, they will try and not talk about this feature because they're like, you know, hey, um, 
we don't have it. Um, but it's still a negative thought in the mind of the buyer. The buyer is pretty sophisticated. They've gone to these other websites. So what we like to do is we like to kind of get in front of this and say, are you wondering why we don't have this feature? Here's why. And then we basically explain why we don't have that feature. And that's one way of busting objections. Got it. Got it. Is having FAQ sections and things like that a similar kind of thing? Yeah, that's a, that's FAQ is a great place to do it. Again, my only concern is how many people are actually seeing it. As long as you can make sure it's highly visible, it is exactly the same mechanism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good point. Um, where does social proof come into this? We've not talked about it a great deal. I think some of the points that we've talked about have brushed on it. But what about customer reviews, testimonials, case studies, customer you interviews? Are you know what, Sam? That's very astute of you, and it, this might actually be a conversation for a future future uh, discussion. So I actually do not like social proof at all, uh, and I'll tell you why. Dun, dun, because, dun. it's because first of all, I hate customer reviews, and I'll tell you why. Imagine if you have a you are a brand and you have five thousand reviews. Do you know that the most? Can I? I'm going to ask you a question. What do you think are are, is the most influential review for the buyer that's in the review section? The most influential review. So if, if I'm looking at a product or service and then I check a review, what one's going to tip me over the edge to buy? Is that what you mean? No, no, no. What, what review do you think you'll be focused on? Ah, well, yeah, it's going to be negative, isn't it? It's... Well, not only negative, it's going to be actually the, the most recent review. The most recent that's set true. of reviews are the ones that's that you pay attention to. And the yeah. problem is that... I could have 3,000 positive reviews and the last four bloody reviews were neutral <laughs> and I'm humped. And I yeah. hate the fact that I hate the fact I don't like relying on that uncertainty. Um, so that's the reason why, first of all, I can't control the reviews anyway. So it's not part of our copywriting process. So that's a very good observation. We actually don't use any social proof in our copywriting Um Primarily because most brands are very good at social proof. And I'm trying to identify the nine things that they don't focus on uh, versus saying, here are the 20 things that we should all be doing. Yeah, it's an interesting conversation, right? And we could talk about this for a long time. But without going in too deep, I think you're quite you're quite factual in the sense that social proof can very much be manipulated. I.e., There's a lot of dodgy review websites out there where you can literally amend reviews. Um and yeah, customer testimonials, all that kind of stuff can be tweaked, can be changed. So I, I get your point. Whether I agree with you is a different subject. Um, but no, it's interesting. It's no, interesting. I think, and I think you can you can pick up on some reviews. And uh, look, I'm I'm I, what I'm trying to. I guess my my basic point is this: that if you have an incredible, like I just I just did a review for a website where uh, Venus Williams was their spokesperson and was buried somewhere on the website, I. That's amazing social proof. I brought it right to the, I would bring it right to the product page. I'm not opposed to using something, an asset that's available to me. All I'm saying is that brands typically are pretty good at using social proof. I wanted to focus on the nine things that we actually don't focus on enough. So I think yeah. that's the reason why yeah, I yeah. didn't include it in the nine list. I like it. I like it. Nice one, Rishi. Anything to anything you'd like to add to end on before we wrap things up? No, I think this has been, uh, you know, I, I hope Sam, I mean, I hope, I know we didn't, we didn't, uh, we obviously wanted to keep this uh, conversational. So you, you and I didn't go through the nine items before. I hope, I hope there weren't any unanswered questions for you. You know, I breathe and eat and sleep this stuff. So sometimes I'm, I'm prone to talk about them in a way that makes sense in my head, but don't make sense to other people. So um, I hope that wasn't the case. 
yeah 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 enjoyed the conversation so i think we've you've given some good value to the audience to myself and it's been a been a good bit of back and forth so with that rishi please do share more about how everyone tuning in can learn from you connect with you a bit more about your business and the best way to get in touch with your good self i am very active on linkedin uh so if you search for my name rishi r-i-s-h-i my last name r-a-w-a-t on linkedin uh hopefully you'll find me right away um, I also have a newsletter, uh, a buyer psychology newsletter. So what one of the one of the advantages of my job is that I spend 20% of my time just wandering the internet, trying to find some clever little marketer somewhere doing something really clever that some of the big boys haven't found. Because remember, once the big boys see it, they will exploit the crap out of it and then it no longer works. So I need to kind of be a, like I'm almost like a an explorer exploring these un, unexplored lands. So I'm on these like really obscure small websites that nobody ever really has heard about. And I'm paying attention to some of the marketing things that they're doing. And what I do is I collect those ideas and once a week I share them because it's, I've already got them. I share them with my subscribers. If you're interested in those kind of like really quirky, esoteric, but very visual examples, because I'll take a screenshot literally and you can then just literally copy it, swipe file. Um, you can sign up for my newsletter and you can get that by going to a very special URL. There's no other way to get to it, but it's frictionless-commerce, frictionless-commerce.com forward slash join, J-O-I-N. And if you go there, you can sign up for the newsletter. And then once a week, you'll get my garbage from my brain right to your inbox. Sounds delightful. You've sold me already. So we'll uh, we'll put all of those links over on the website episode show notes over at businessgrowth.marketing. And with that, Rishi, I want to thank you once again. Very enjoyable conversation, sir. Have to have you back on in the near future. Yeah, thanks, Sam. I loved it. Thank you. No worries, man. And as always, if you enjoyed today's episode, hit that subscribe button. And why not leave us a quick rating on Apple Podcasts if you're tuning in from there. And uh, we interview business leaders each and every week to provide actual tips across marketing across sales to grow your business and grow your revenue. And with that, we'll catch you on the next one.